Welcome to the Wilds Cast. My guest today is Rabbi Tuvia Singer, who is the founder and director of Outreach Judaism, which is a Jewish counter-missionary organization. And Rabbi Singer and I got into an amazing conversation about the issues on campus in Israel, in the United States, how many of our Jewish brothers and sisters are being targeted by missionary and cult groups, Jews for Jesus and the like, what is being done, Rabbi Singer's kind and understanding style, as well as his expert knowledge on both the Torah and the New Testament allows him uh, to really be as successful as he's been. He also spent many years in Indonesia. We talked about that as well and got into some issues about how we as Jews identify with our faith and our entire belief system. Take a listen. Okay, welcome to the Wilds cast. It is an honor and a pleasure uh, to have Rabbi Tuvia Singer with us. Welcome, Rabbi Singer. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on, staying up so many hours into the night. <laughs> uh, you've been working for decades, um, pulling our Jewish brothers and sisters out of the hands of missionary and cult groups for years. Now, I remember growing up in Queens, it was a big issue. Do you still view this as a big problem today in, let's say, in Israel or in the diaspora, like when you started? In Israel, it's a stage four cancer. Mm. And for those who don't know that, there is no such thing as stage five. It's a, a situation where missionaries are fully ensconced here in the Holy Land. They portray themselves as rabbis, and unfortunately I had to expose so many of them. And they're very well connected to the government and the problem has increased exponentially, not only in Eretz but in North America where you are, because the problem of Jews for Jesus uh, is, is a symptom of the unpaid bills of the Jewish people. So as assimilation peaks, heightens, so does apostasy and joining these fundamentalist uh, Christian groups. Very unfortunate. So it is at least as much of a problem, if not worse today. Oh, it's much worse today because, you know, as uh, there is the assimilation goes up, Jewish education dives, so we're losing our people for a lack of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Jews for Jesus and Chosen People Ministries and all these other fabulous missionary groups that target Jews for conversion exploit this vulnerability. The people who get involved in these types of groups, First Fruits of Zion, uh, Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries, um, the, these are not kids who went to day school and studied in yeshiva. These are kids that maybe have a Hebrew school education, not a day school education, and they're very, very vulnerable. And those numbers in as far as education is going down, and therefore Jews for Jesus are gaining an enormous amount of traction. And you say they're connected to the government in, of Israel, these, these missionary cult groups? Oh, yeah. That means Israeli leaders understand that the Jewish state has very few friends in the United Nations. It cannot count on the European Union for support. And there are segments in the American uh, political spectrum that are not supportive of Israel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. However, there is one group which happens to be the largest voting bloc in the United States, 
one out of five Americans, 70 million American citizens who identify as an evangelical fundamentalist born-again Christian, the U.S., the Israeli government recognizes that these are the true friends of Israel, the staunch allies of the Jewish state. These are the people that they can count on, and therefore the state of Israel views evangelical Christians, whether they're coming in to evangelize or not evangelize, as Israel's best friend. So that's a very big problem. And and you have any numbers? Are there any stats on this, like how many Jews a year we lose to uh, missionary groups, Jews for Jesus and the like? The estimates are that basically the amount of Jews that we've lost in North America, let's talk about North America, is equal to the size of the Jewish community to every Jew who lives in Chicago. Something about 300,000 Jewish people have crossed that line and have joined the church, have become baptized and are attending all sorts of churches and messianic congregations throughout North America in the places you would expect them to. 300,000, 300,000 over over what period of time would you say? Over the last so the the messianic the messianic movement started in the iteration that we see it today, where they're presenting themselves as it's Jewish to believe in Jesus. Right. We could talk about that. Began in 1973 mm-hmm. in a huge way. In fact, that's the year that Jews of Jesus was incorporated. In It's why it's called Key 73. So that's when the messianic movement in its current version began. So the estimate is that we're talking about we're talking about a half a century ago. For the, for the viewers to understand that what 1973 meant. So in 1973, evangelical Christians recognized that the year 2000 was soon approaching. Right, right. right? They're a quarter of a century away. Moreover, Six years earlier, Jerusalem was liberated. For any person who has a, even a superficial knowledge of Tanakh recognizes that the Jewish return to Jerusalem has enormous messianic implications. Sure. Sure. And these evangelical Christians are convinced, utterly convinced, that in order for Jesus to make a second coming— the Jews have to return to Jerusalem, and that, that's in Tanakh. That means the Mashiach has to—Jews have to return to Jerusalem or Mashiach to come. But they also believe that it is the Jewish return and the Jewish—the conversion of Jews to Christianity that will trigger, ignite the second coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jews play a very important eschatological role in Christian thought of when Jesus is going to make a second coming. Uh, for, for the viewers, uh, listeners to this show, the second coming is not mentioned anywhere in Tanakh. There is no second coming. But for Christians, they firmly believe this. So for them, in the early 70s, they realized here, I mean, I remember as a kid, the 67 war and the this monumental event where Jerusalem was the Harabayat was in our hands. This had a, a spectacular impact on 
the Jewish world and the Christian world. And that's what launched this. That's what sparked it. As I said, the estimates today are, it's an estimate. We don't know for sure. The estimates are probably about 300,000 wow. Jews in North America. So what, what is, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, in our outreach world, we're, we're dealing with just apathy, agnosticism, atheism, right? Is there, would you say... Well, I mean, what ideology is a bigger threat to young Jews today? Is it Christian missionaries or atheism? Right. So the greatest danger is not Jews for Jesus. It's Jews for absolutely nothing. <laughs> right. Um, it, no one's ever called himself so, that. No one's ever called himself that, but it's... It, Jews for Jews nothing. Jews for nothing. Right. That's like a great... For absolutely we nothing. We stand for zero. <laughs> okay. Right. Absolutely nothing. Right. Right. So it so it like so so if Jews for nothing is heart disease, which is the biggest killer in the United States, mm-hmm. Jews for Jesus cancer, it's way up there. It's the second biggest killer. Right. It's enormous. Right. However, this is this is the the spin, the knach, the the rub. Very important. The antidote to Jews for nothing is the same antidote to Jews for Jesus, and that's education. Yeah, knowledge, knowledge. I mean, right, right, because if education is not the answer to assimilation of any kind, whether it's Jews for nothing or apostasy to Christianity, then everything that you, Rabbi, and, and I am doing is wrong. Yeah. That means we are completely committed to a system that says educating our young, especially our youth, is the most important thing we can do to halt, to stem, and turn around the tide of assimilation. So, and I'll say one more thing, and that is, and I'm I'm not trying to be provocative here, but many Jewish families are, are too complacent about, about their, their child possibly assimilating out of the Jewish people. But this is the last taboo. They do not want their kids coming home believing in Jesus. Yeah. They do not want their kids coming home as Baptists. That they don't want. Yeah. And therefore, because the missionary problem is so, um, the optics on it are so raw, so visceral, that Jewish people who might otherwise not send their kids to a, a Jewish day school and a Jewish camp, which is very important, will do it because they don't want their kids to assimilate. And that's what's interesting. So, yeah, this is this is cancer. This is not heart disease. It's a very serious problem. But the antidote to both problems is the same. Education. And that's education. education. Right. I mean, that's fascinating. Right. You know, I, I, I think I mentioned to you, I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens. And I remember in the 70s and the 80s, it was so many Russian Jews coming, you know, former from the former Soviet Union. Right. Smart, but Jewishly uneducated. And they were the targets, right. as you remember, as you know well, the, you know, as you know all well, that they were the targets of a lot of Christian missionary groups. But it's the same issue. You could have somebody who comes out of Harvard University, could be very bright well-educated person, but not Jewishly educated. So the word Tanakh, which we're throwing around here, it refers to uh, you know, Hebrew scripture. If you don't know Tanakh and somebody you know, can manipulate you a little, 
it's very it's it shouldn't be that complicated to bring you over to the other side now i have another question are you therefore against some of the rabbis that we both know who are working with christian i wouldn't say missionary groups who are working with christian evangelicals okay i have friends who go and speak in christian evangelical churches they're raising money um it's israel and then i question them and i say hey what about the whole missionary thing and they're like listen if you know i it's part of the theology but that's not what they're about they really are sincere in their support and love for israel it's not like they're doing this to get jews to come to you know to believe in jesus what what's your feeling about that yeah this is a this is a very serious problem so we have to segregate your question into two separate issues should rabbis work with Christian leaders, that means the rabbinical leadership, a rabbi, and they minister work together on a project that concerns us both. So we've been doing that for a very long time. Rabbis work with Muslim leaders in Europe because they're concerned about shita slash halal. That's an, a non-issue. Right. That's not a problem at all. Well, the the I, I need to explain. There's one caveat that every person listening to our voice right now must understand. In all cases, the person that succeeds in converting a Jew, the first contact is always someone who is not a professional missionary, a lay person, an evangelical Christian lay person. Mm -hmm. And it's almost always someone who is not Jewish. It's not someone who works on the staff of Jews for Jesus. It's someone that your kid is going to meet in college. It's someone that you work with. It's someone that your nephew is going to meet in the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. So it always happens on a social and, and the, level. And, and that's done purposely so that the person is, I guess, a little more unsuspecting. Is that the reason? No, you know, it's 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 the reverse. Jewish people, regardless of their affiliation or lack of affiliation with any denomination, are have visceral hatred for Jews for Jews. This can't stand the group. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you uh -huh. if a Jew meets a Jew who converted to Christianity, it's very offensive to us. Right. Right. So therefore, they can't get their foot in the door. But conversely, if we meet, I say we, if an average Jew meets a non-Jew who's a Christian, who happens to support Israel and loves the Jewish people, so then we don't have a problem sure. with it. Sure. We're not, right. So therefore, a social relationship is therefore possible, and the non-Jewish evangelical Christian can get his foot in the door. The evangelicals want to convert everybody. They would love to convert every every Hasidic Jew in the world. But the every, point but is every group, that, every, I mean, 55 to 60 million Christian evangelicals, I, I, and the ones that are so supportive of Israel, Pastor Hagee and the like, they're all out to convert us as far as you, as far as... Yes, and that means we're not talking about the former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, as an example, who's very pro-Israel, mm -hmm. but he's not a Protestant evangelical. He's a Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. That man has no interest in converting Jews. This is important. The former mayor of New York, Rudy Giuliani, mm -hmm. he's a devout Roman Catholic. He has no interest in converting Jews. So, uh, the, you know, Jewish people, we understandably, we're outsiders, we 
could lump the Christian world together. We're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. They're not interested in converting Jews. We're not talking about mainline Christians like the Episcopalians, who are the cousins of the Anglicans. Mm -hmm. They're not interested in converting us. The Presbyterians, they're not interested in converting us. The people specifically we are referring to are fundamentalist, evangelical, born-again Christians. That's the 70 million. These people are completely committed to bringing every Jewish person to the cross. And the central role of Jews for Jesus, therefore, is to teach evangelical Christians. They know what I've been telling you, to teach Baptist Assemblies of God, Southern Baptist parishioners how to effectively evangelize the Jewish people. Now, you mentioned Hagee, and I, I will mention something about him because he's an anomaly. He's an outlier. Mm -hmm. So if you mention him, I want to say this because mm -hmm. I don't want to mischaracterize yeah. him. He is the head of Kufi. He's probably one of the most famous evangelical leaders in the United States. Okay? Mm -hmm. Hagee, and I write about him in my book, in, in volume one. I'm not promoting books, but just I have a section of a Tell us what, what's the name chapter. of the book? It's a two-volume book called Let's Get Biblical. Mm -hmm. It's volume one and volume two, okay. where I go through all the texts, all the verses, all the everything. It's a it's a massive work. It, I Hagee, I, I need you who are listening to my voice right now to listen very carefully. Hagee, not the people around Hagee. They're a problem. But Hagee personally happens to embrace a theology, which is very unusual, called dual covenant theology. Mm -hmm. That's capital D, capital C. Mm -hmm. Dual covenant theology is very unusual. It's an outlier. But Hagee believes that Jews should not be converted to Christianity, and Jews should remain religious Jews and study Torah, and their salvation comes through keeping the Torah. This is not their, what typically Christ, evangelical— Christian salvation, according to Hagee, comes from Jews observing the Torah, not accepting Jesus. For Jews, for Jews. only for Jews. Right, that's what I'm asking. They, he believes that— Everybody else, from Hindus to Muslim, he Mamish says this openly, from Hindus to Muslim to Buddha, they all need to be converted ah, to be saved, uh -huh. but just not the Jews. So the Jews have a different fancy word coming, dispensation, meaning a different soteriological um, economy with God. They are saved through keeping the Torah and keeping the mitzvot. That's why Hagee is unique. He will donate money to yeshivot, especially in Israel. No other evangelical leader will do that because other evangelicals who are very pro-Israel will do anything to support Israel financially, but not giving to Jewish schools because they're not teaching about Christ. But Hagee, so, so here's the point. So Hagee is the head of uh, Christians United for Israel. I know him personally very well, okay? He himself holds this, but fair warning, everyone in his orbit, all the everything that comes with him, that means if your synagogue decides to have a program with Kufi and you all get together in the ballroom of the Marriott mm -hmm. and there's 3,000 people there, the people that your congregation, you ask me, like, what should rabbis do? Know this. Your congregants, the people that come to that event are going to be mixing with evangelical Christians who definitely want to convert the Jews. They do not hold what hate 
Carnegie holds. So and, this and, is a and, little and complicated, this, but I don't no, want to this is, this is so important for our listeners to hear, and I really appreciate you making this so clear. So most of the others, everyone, I guess, with the exception of, of Pastor Hagee, why are they supporting Israel, therefore? Are, are they, in your, in your view, are they supporting Israel so they could get to more Jews? To con to no, mm -hmm. no. They're actually honest, and it's this is this is the worst kept secret in the world. They'll they'll tell you straight away. There is a movement that began in the United States. It was a British theologian. His name was John Nelson Darby. He's actually mm -hmm. born yeah, in I've England. Heard of him, sure. Oh, okay. He comes to the United States with a a new theology, and that is called premillennial dispensationalism. That means a lot of things, and I'm not going to go into all of them, but one part of it is directly germane to your question. He upends the way the church viewed the Jewish people for 1,700 years. Until, he, until Darby, all Christians believe that the church replaced Israel and the Jews are no right. longer chosen. Right, the new, the new Israel, the, they call themselves. Right, exactly. It's right. called New Israel theology. It's called covenant theology. Or the pedestrian term that most people are familiar with is called replacement theology. Right. That's what the— what the Catholic Church believes, what's what the Greek Orthodox does, the Orthodox Church believes. When I say Greek Orthodox and Catholic, that's the vast majority of the Christian world. Right. So the vast majority of the Christian world believe that the Jews were once chosen, but because they rejected Jesus and worse, right. killed them, so therefore they're no longer chosen. All the Church Fathers espouse this, uh, all the Reformers espouse this, and they all, frankly, all the Church Fathers and Reformers were were really terrible anti-Semites. And, and, and the Catholics if you, subscribe to this as well? Oh, yeah, yeah completely, yeah. completely. Right. The Catholics, in Vatican II, in a, a positive advance with Pope John uh, 23rd. So there was an advancement in that the Catholic Church renounced anti-Semitism and uh, renounce the notion that the Jews are culpable. The Jews today are culpable for killing Jesus in a document called Nostra Ated, which yeah, means yeah. in our time. And it it also um, extracted, removed, jettisoned anti-Semitic liturgy from the Good Friday uh, church service because Good Friday was not a good day for Jewish people. Good Friday for those who don't go to shul often. I'm kidding. But that, that's like the day that Christians believe Jesus was uh, was crucified. That's when they mark it. So it was a horrible day for Jewish people. In, in Our great-great-grandparents did not go out in Russia or, or Europe, didn't leave their homes on Good Friday. That was a bad time. So in our that the Second Vatican Council, which was launched by Pope John uh, Paul the Twenty Third, uh, he didn't he didn't live to see it completed. But it he's basically the person who came to undo what Pius the Twelfth had done. I mean, mm -hmm. he was like turning it around. And uh, so, but that didn't address the issue of replacement theology. That means in 1964, the Roman Catholic Church did not recognize Israel, had no diplomatic relations with Israel, uh, because the Church Fathers all said with one voice the Jews would never return to the land of Israel. And only with the Oslo Accords in moving ahead, I don't want to go off. Yeah, no, the but, thing I, here, but, but I, I want to, I want to just, just understand. So, where is the support coming from? Um, theologically, oh, the from Christian the, evangelical, they the, are our, let's face it, in terms of money and voting, 
fact, they in every are way, our best friends. They, so, they, and they and they genuinely love Israel. I want you. They to generally. So it's not. To, it's not just to get no, Jews to convert. It's not. No, no. But I. But they'll weaponize it. So I need to explain okay. this. Evangelical Christians will support Israel even if they they thought they can never convert another Jew. They'd still love Israel and support because. Israel. Because they believe that replacement theology was the greatest mistake of the church and oh. the Jews are still chosen and the land of Israel, every square inch of it, belongs to the Jewish people. They believe that. And they believe Genesis 12, verse 3, that says that those who bless Israel, those who bless the sense of Abraham, meaning the Jews, I will bless them, and those who curse the descendants of Abraham, they will be cursed, and you, all the nations will be blessed. They believe that the only reason why America is blessed is because it supports Israel. The moment America mm-hmm. turns its back on Israel, America will be destroyed. So theologically, they, they, theologically yes. in order for them to receive blessing, based on Genesis 12, 3, they have to support the Jewish people, not just Israel, just Absolutely. the Jews in general. Right. And they believe, this is important, they genuinely believe that God's love never turned away from the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the Jewish people are beloved by God, are still chosen. That's why philo-Semitism lives very naturally in the dispensationalist world, in this thinking. And this happened, this phenomena exploded in America. There was a lawmaker from Kansas, Cyrus Schofield, who had the Schofield Bible. He believed this. The, J- James Belfour, the foreign secretary, you all know him, the, the Belfour Declaration, he believed this. He was part of this movement. He was, oh, the founder wow, of the, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They all believe this. You know, it, and, just to clarify, Belfour, and just to clarify for yeah. our listeners, so most of the Christian world, Catholics, Protestants alike, subscribe to this new Israel theology, this idea, this That's replacement right. theology that that since the Jews didn't accept Jesus or killed him, therefore um, therefore they're being replaced by the Christians. They're the new Israel. The Christian evangelicals reject that. And they, totally. they, they never believed, uh, uh, in other words, they never believed that um, that the Jews were ever replaced and that, um, and, and that they're still, they, they believe we're still the chosen people. And therefore, whoever blesses Israel will be blessed. And that's the reason why they're supporting. But getting back to the Christianary missionary, Christian missionary issue now, you're saying that, so they're not doing it to missionize. They're not doing it to baptize us. No. But. But but yeah. there's a caveat. I know there's a but, yeah. Now that they, so they really support Israel, lishma. That means they genuinely support Israel. And this theology does bleed into philo-Semitism. Absolutely true. But they then weaponize, they exploit this genuine love for Israel in order to convert Jews uh-huh. by saying, look, I know you Jews feel uncomfortable with Yeshua, with Christ, because of what Christians did to you. But I want you to know they were not real Christians. They didn't uh-huh. love the Jewish people. They followed a false iteration of Christianity. But we are a real Christian because a real Christian loves the Jewish people. And therefore, they 
use their love for Israel. Again, they're, inter- they're not interdependent. They really support Israel because they support Israel. They're not doing it so they can convert Jews. This is a big mistake mm-hmm. people make. I understand why. But they're not off the hook. They weaponize their support for Israel in order to evangelize and to get their foot in the door. And, and why would they? Let me ask you a question. It seems like a little inconsistent within this theology of the Christian evangelicals, because on one hand you're saying they believe that Jews uh, are the chosen people. On the other hand, you're saying they still want us to convert. They're not supporting Israel to get us to convert, supporting Israel because it's a value, it's a, it's a Christian value to support God's right. chosen people, and those who bless Israel will be blessed. So why don't they just leave us alone then? In other words, why, uh, why, why uh. wouldn't they be satisfied with us staying Jews? Why do they have to convert us? All right, so this is, a, this is a brilliant question. Tyson says that question. I just made that. I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, so here, I, 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 you know, I don't want to overwhelm the, those people who are listening yeah, to the show. Yeah. So they actually believe Christian. This these dispensationalists believe that there are two covenants going on at the same the time. The dispensationalists are the Christian evangelicals. The, just want to make clear right every, are the Christian knows. evangelicals that are that are really, they're in Europe too. There are plenty of them in Sweden, mm-hmm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. But the big center is the United States because that's where it really began. Mm-hmm. It, it, with Moody and yeah, Bible sure. College named yeah. after him in Chicago, all these guys, all, and the United States was very receptive because the United States already was very, a, very philo-Semitic, the founding fathers sure, yeah. of the United States, not just Washington, but also uh, the, f- the founders of the Constitution. They all had an affection for Jews and Hebrew and so on, and they couldn't stand European Christianity because it was that crucible that America was born from. Right, they were fighting so it. The they idea were trying of, to get away from that. Right, the Church right. Of England. So this yeah. was exactly, precisely, and Hamilton went to yeshiva. I mean, whether he was Jewish or not right. Jewish, that means that his mother, well, I don't know right. and I don't care. But Hamilton had an enormous, I mean, he knew Hebrew. He could say the Ten, the ten Commandments of Society in Hebrew. Wow. He mamish knew it. Wow. So therefore, it, this created a, the United States was a place that was ripe right. for John Nelson Darby's for his message. Now, I want to get back to your question. These dispensations believe that there are two covenants going on simultaneously. God has a physical, earthly covenant with the people of Israel. That means the Jews are not saved because they're chosen, but loving the Jews, supporting Israel, and ensuring that Jews live in every part of Israel. And that means not just Tel Aviv, but also means Hebron. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just mean Haifa. It also means in, in Shechem. Every square inch land of Israel, they believe that's vital. So the Jews have a physical, earthly, um, terrestrial relationship with God mm-hmm. that's eternal and can't be broken. And they're right, because Tanakh says so. Tanakh explicitly says that no matter what happens, I will never take my covenant away right. from you. No matter what you do, right. I will bring you back. I mean, Leviticus 26. Uh, no matter what, I'm bringing you back. So they nailed it on that one. But they believe that the church has its own covenant. That means Christians have a, a separate covenant, and that's a spiritual covenant mm-hmm. only. And that is if you believe in Jesus, you're saved. Uh-huh. So being a Jew does not spare you of the fires of mm-hmm. hell, of the gnashing teeth what of it hell. Does, what it does, you're saying that the earthly covenant that God has with Israel will will give you physical blessings and make you successful or right. eternal, right? But you know, an eternal people... But it's not going to save your soul. 
The only way you can Not save your soul is by accepting Jesus. That's right. That's exactly oh, right. This is fascinating. <laughs> right. There's really it there's is, a lot it? of confusion about this. Is really so helpful because um, so so are going back to the original question. Um, would you be in favor of? Uh, I mean. Uh, working together with you know let's say rabbis and christians not on not on let's say you know like you mentioned before um on causes that are important to the two of us but like um is it going into a church okay well there are halachic issues with going into a church fine so it's a halachic issue right but let's say um supporting and facilitating more christian evangelicals to come to israel and basically handing not handing over Israel, but making them really feel warm and welcome because they've been so supportive. Um, what, what, it, it, that's that's complicated. No, like how can you do that if if like even though they 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 they, they want to support us anyway, but we know they're weaponizing it. That's right. That's right. So that's why it's a very grave danger. I, I say this to uh, rabbis, Jewish leaders. You are exposing your community mm. to a very aggressive group that wants to bring every single congregant to Christ. And the way it happens is through the social network. Ordinarily, Jews and Christians don't have a lot of social interaction. That's right. That means they're not meeting each other. So by having that—I mean— I say to every rabbi, you got to work this one out. But understand that by getting together, it doesn't mean a church. You get to get to the Marriott, or you have the Christians coming to the synagogue. You're opening the door for your community to interact with evangelical Christians, for the social network to really take hold, and it exposes people to a very grave danger. It's a very, very serious problem. And the leaders in the evangelical world, as I said, Hagee's an is an outlier there are very few others like him but there are but these this is that's an exception to the rule um these people all want to bring the jewish people to jesus now what they also do is they they say oh we just love israel the leaders will do this and they create plausible deniability mm-hmm. i expose them but what they do is no we i want to you know just want to we love the jewish people but then they instruct their congregants go to the jews and bring them to know about the cross tell them about mm-hmm. yeshua and how to evangelize them so it is so the i think the, the, the rabbis have to take into account the danger that they're inviting moreover just so you know you're if if you don't have these gatherings of thousands of people you're not going to if you don't do that, it's not going to hold them back from supporting Israel. Like they'll support Israel no matter what you do. So don't think of it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm looking right now on my phone because I was interviewed. I think it was Bishop. He interviews a lot of modern Orthodox rabbis like myself for um, for his. He's got a big um, presence on Facebook, and. Um, you know, and he's and he's sincerely interested in Torah, in Jewish wisdom, Old Testament wisdom. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Do you know who I'm referring to? Um, I've been yet. on his show twice. He, a lot of my he's a bishop. He calls himself bishop. Is it Robert Barron? Hold on a second. No, that's someone else. He calls himself bishop, even though he's in the he's a Protestant. He's not a Catholic. And he's a hundred percent Christian evangelical. He's a lovely, lovely guy, 
and he's he brings groups to Israel. This guy is. I thought I brought a lot of Jews to Israel every every. This guy brings twice as many people to Israel as I do, um, and right. uh, he seems so sincere and genuine, you know. And I think he is for the reasons you outlined. You know, he loves that verse. You know, those who bless Israel will be blessed. Um, he says it all the time, and he wants more wisdom from the Jewish people. Right, but we need to be wary. I'll say saying. something. Cr- I'll say something crazy on your show. I'll tell you something that'll like make everybody's head spin. As it turns out, this is going to be a bombshell. There is probably no movement, there is no organization that is more responsible for Christians converting to Judaism than Jews for Jesus. Mm-hmm. That means that as it turns out, there is actually a whole, um, there is a whole, uh, there's a there's enormous movement there. I need to explain this. Mm-hmm. Because the evangelical Christians are so focused on Israel and looking at the Jewish roots of the Christian faith, and we need to learn the Hebrew, we got to get back into the Old right. Testament. Right, that's that. the kind of feel he has, exactly. Right. What what that does is it gets Christians, his parishioners, who want to convert Jews, but they get very curious about Judaism, and then they want to study Hebrew, and then they order an art scroll, and then they watch rabbis on YouTube, <laughs> and they want to study, and then they're going, wow, like they're learning amazing Torah. Like we're not learning in the churches. We're not learning Torah at nowhere near this level, and we were never taught Hebrew in our churches and our Sunday schools. And so what happens is they start to learn more and more about Judaism, and that's why if I go into the conversion programs, whether they're in the United States, in Chicago, here in the land of Israel, it's packed with who? Not former Hindus. There are some, not former Buddhists. There are some. The vast majority of them are Christians, but not just any Christian. The vast majority of them are evangelical Christians, former evangelical Christians. So into what, conver- what, what, happened, what, what conversion programs are you talking they're about? They're converting to, to Judaism. Judaism. Yeah, yeah. That means, yes, yeah. that means the vast majority of people who are converting to Judaism are from the evangelical Christian world. Mm-hmm. Because of their exposure to Judaism— because of the, you see this all spins there's so much convection yeah. going yeah. on here yeah. so what right you understand yeah. how this is all spinning so there is an enormous amount of homogenization going there's a problem of Jews uh, converting to Christianity but as it turns out far more Christians evangelicals convert to Judaism as a result of Jewish evangelism than Jews converting to Christianity wow wow, wow I, mean, right. I don't get a lot of that you know we get a lot in New York of you know, young um, non-Jewish people fall in love with Jews, and you know, there's a Jewish grandparent who wants, you know, who wants a conversion. That's when I get the phone call. You know, so that's a very different group. Right. I don't have a lot of um, Christian evangelicals converting, but there's been some over the years. Let me ask you another uh, question. You know, a lot of people who come to MGE, um, I see this a lot, believe in God but not necessarily that God wrote the Torah. Um, what, what do you say to people? I know you give talks about this. I know this is a concern for you. What, what is your best argument, um, if, we can, if you can sort of share it on one foot, if you don't mind? Sure. Um, as it turns out, well over more than one out of two people 
who share our planet, more than half the world's population, although many of them are not crazy about us, <laughs> believe that our Torah is the Word of God. Muslims do not believe the New Testament is the Word of God. They don't even like it. And Christians do not like the Quran. They just don't. For whatever reason, it's not important. But the one thing they can agree on, regardless of what they think about Jews, is that the Torah is divinely inspired, and their religions are all predicated on the Torah of Moses. Moses in Islam is considered the highest Rasul, only second to one. I mean, Moses is way up there, and his revelation is the highest. And Christians believe the same thing. And the question is why? And this is what I would say to every any Jew who's wondering about his faith, why is it that the nations of the world are so awestruck by the Torah? And what is so unique about it? And as it turns out, the Torah predicts this. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Torah says, look, this is what's going to happen. All the nations are going to say, what a wise nation this is, speaking about the Jewish people, the children of Israel, that has such a wise law. So the Torah written in the Bronze Age, predicts that the world will be enraptured with the Jewish people and the Torah of the Jew, of the law of the Jew. However, the same chapter says, be aware that despite this, they're going to exile you and you'll be in all nations remaining few in number, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27. What is going on here? So the author of the text is saying something very complicated, saying they're going to love your Torah, but you're going to be a problem. They're going to exile you. Why is the Torah so attractive? What is so unique about the Jewish claim that the whole world is latches onto it? And that is the, the, the type of revelation. we The revelation is one of a national revelation. It's completely unique. That is our formidable event. We believe in Abraham and his encounter with three angels in Genesis 18 on based on faith. We have no evidence for that. The foundation of our faith is the event that occurred at Mount Sinai a little more than 3,300 years ago when an unprecedented revelation took place where the entire nation, every Jew was present and heard the voice of God. Moreover, I submit this to you. We, we're now between holidays. Every Jewish holiday is based on a, an event that affected the entire nation. Passover, celebrating in Exodus, miracles that occurred on a national scale. We all experienced it. Passing through the Red Sea on dry land, receiving a Torah at Mount Sinai, which we are going to celebrate in just a few weeks from now. The Festival of Tabernacles, a national event where God preserved our people for 40 years in a wilderness. All Hanukkah, all of our holidays are not like— and, and and what would you say? The whole nation was there. What would you say then? You know, which obviously is in contradistinction to the Christian view of, right? Easter, like who was right. there? Like two two ladies? I mean, right. Every other one is different. There's one exception, Rabbi. I just want to share this one thing with you. There's only one other type of holiday that is a na- that celebrates national events, and that's secular American holidays. When you celebrate July 4th, the reason why Americans celebrate is because of a national event that occurred to the, the people of the United States of America. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But all the other religious holidays, no matter which one, celebrates some event that you you take their word for it or don't take their word for it, but it's never a national revelation. And, and, and thank you. And what do you then say to someone who's listening to this and says, okay, that's great if I was one of those people who lived thousands of years ago and I was part of 
witnessing that great event, the exodus from Egypt, the giving of the Torah at Sinai. It wasn't just to a few disciples, it was to everyone. But I wasn't there. And you're asking me to just simply believe that this event took place. What, what's the response to that? What's the next step then? Right. So think this through very carefully. There's a lot at stake here. What are the origins of the Torah? Are, are the, is it divine or human? Someone wrote it. Right. Either God is behind it or just a bunch of men who lived 3,000 during the Bronze Age are behind it. The consequences are staggering, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously, if it's God did it, then I should do it. If men just thought pork was a bad idea, well, that was good then, but bacon, that doesn't apply right. to bacon today. So, like, is God behind this? That, that's the So here, now listen and think very carefully. If men invented this, wrote this book, and they made it up, they made up the stories, they then present, at some point, someone wrote it. Somebody wrote it thousands of years ago, and then it's given to a people and told, here is your history, right? What would the people then ask if it never happened? There was no Egypt, no Joshua, no Moses. They would go, what? Like, how come no one told us about this? That means... The book is not being a claim that some prophet met an angel in some remote area. This is this happened to you, to your forefathers. So the people would have to respond if this was invented, if this is a human document, then how come no one told me? And then what would you do? You'd have to say it was some big secret. No one was supposed to tell anybody, right? You'd have to say something. You'd have to explain, like, if it never happened, like, how did if, – if, hap, if it happened, why didn't anyone tell me about this? But as it turns because out, the because, author of the book – that's the story. In other words, the story we've been telling – It's the story of your the history. The story of our history is, it's is not, that these Jews right. were gathered around a mountain – they had right. been slaves. This is, right. So let's say it was written by a human being. That human being would then have to somehow convince a nation that they were these descendants right. of these people that were enslaved or stood at right. Sinai. But that big of an event, I mean, this is what you're arguing. I just want to clarify it. That big of an event had to have been heard by somebody, right? It can't, it can't just be made right. up and then, right. Right. In 100 years from now, I mean... If people made, if 9-11 never happened 100 years from now, if someone just made it up, you'll go, well, 9-11, such a cataclysmic event? Like, why didn't anybody say the, anything about this? Not one individual you take his word for it and not take his word for it. Exactly. So the text would have to, buried into the text, would have to have a, a, um, a method, a device, a plot device to explain this away. Because this would be the, because the, the, the book is saying, this is your history. And as it turns out, so the book would have to say, your parents don't know about it because there's some secret. But it's the very reverse. And this is why it's so compelling about Torah. It's not just Jews have discovered that the world has. And that is, the text says the following. The author of the book says, look, you have questions. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. Sha'alavicha v'yagedcha zikenecha v'yomerlach. Deuteronomy chapter 32. If you have questions, ask your daddy. He knows all about it. Ask your elders. They'll reside it to you. And I want you to do the following. Every year I want you to gather together and you should tell your children, and your children will ask and you will tell them. The author of the book had no such concern. It's just the opposite. The author of the book 
says, if you want to know more about this event that happened to you, not to Eskimos, but to you, this is your history, go to your grandparents. They know all about it. Therefore, the, the book actually locks that in. So therefore, only the origins must have been divine. It must have actually occurred to our people. Moreover, Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 4 says that this is a one-time event in history. The no giving, the, other the nation. The Torah is one event. Was one time. Ata Horeis You have been shown this. Horeis That you may know, not have faith. Why? That, that I am God. And ask, has there ever been, the text is asks the question, Sha'alna l'yamim rishenim. The, the Torah, the author of the book is speaking to you and is saying, think back through all time in history. Has there ever been any other nation that has had a national revelation and survived, that has been delivered on a national scale and is here to talk about it? The answer is no. Atahar Das is the response to that. It never happened. My friends, my friends, the Torah is so delicious. As Mamish Mili Mali says, words that are so high, so delicious. And the text, it te- God understands you. He loves you. You're creating his image. So the Torah is pregnant with information so that you can know the origins are divine, not human. Because the text is saying, go to your people. They know all about it. And that's why this is what's so delicious about the relationship between God and the Jews. We're we're really married. The Jewish people are a witness people who bear testimony to the Torah. Conversely, the Torah bears testimony to the uniqueness of Klal Yisrael as being a to the nation of Israel as being a light to the nation. And that's why Isaiah tells us, Atem you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, my servant whom I have declared. So God calls to the Jewish people to be his witnesses, to bear testimony. Testimony to what if it never happened? And conversely, the text, so that's why the text, um, the text stands as a testimony to the people, and the people, the Jewish people, bear witness to the authenticity of the text. It's a beautiful marriage made in heaven. You, you know, um, you you do such a great job articulating, and, and I've heard some of your debates with pastors and priests. Have you ever considered having these conversations, you know, with like a Sam Harris, with a uh, some of the modern-day atheists out there because i think they seem to be uh gaining a lot of attention podcasts and the like what's your feeling about that so i'll tell you something crazy and i never talked about this with anyone else and i do a lot of shows i'm I'm, I'm interviewed on a considerable number of broadcasts with thousands of you doing no one ever taught ask this and i'll just I'll say it now. I'm interviewed regularly on atheist shows. In fact, I was on one last Mm. night, okay? At least once a week. Now, why do atheists bring me on? Because they, they want to show from a scholarly view why uh, Jesus can't be the Messiah. And the, whatever mm. it is, and I take life. So the so as it turns out, I'm on an enormous, an inordinate number of atheist shows. A lot. Just a lot, okay? I'm fairly well known out there in the world of... Mm-hmm. They never challenged me on this. 
Now, I, I, I don't I, – I, I care about these people and I hope that when I'm on these atheist shows that the many people will watch it and discover the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So my relationship in the, in the atheist, I don't ever ask anyone to have me on. People invite me as a mm-hmm, guest mm-hmm. on their shows. And I, I'm booked way for two weeks. Not that I'm the biggest hit in the world, but they just – I'm a, a little bit unusual. I've been doing this for 40 years. But as it turns out that – in the atheist world, they generally don't ask me, and when they do, they, they, they'll ask me questions like, as an example, why do the vast majority of scholars believe that Isaiah is written by multiple authors? Why do the vast majority of scholars believe in documentary hypothesis that there are multiple authors to the five books of Moses, Wilhausen's? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what they don't understand is that the vast majority of scholars of the Hebrew Bible of what Christians call the Old Testament are devoutly religious people who don't believe in documentary hypothesis and have discovered long ago that the book of Isaiah has a single author and don't believe that Daniel is a pseudepigrapher. So they're, they're, I don't want to offend them, but the what's happening is there's an academic world and in the academic world is kind of an echo chamber. You can't in the academic world, in in biblical studies, just say that Daniel was written. I'm not going to go. Only you want to ask me. I'll talk about it. That Daniel was written during the Babylon exile. They you'll because that's a a minimalist world. It's the re- result, unfortunately, of a a war that Christians fought between each other in the 17th century, the bloodiest religious war in human history. The result was the Enlightenment, and from the 18th and 19th century, there was a building of an enormous wave of anti-religious fervor, not just in the United States but in Europe as well. We are now in that hangover, and therefore, in the in the academic circles, it doesn't make a difference to your Hebrew university. They just—it's sort of, kind of like an echo chamber. This is only in the area of the soft of the of biblical studies. This is not, you know, if you—they they won't care if you talk about this in medical school. But so that's a problem. They live in that echo chamber, and they're not interacting with people like me. So that's the deal. But I, I do debates. I have a debate coming up in Nashville. I, I'm, I didn't announce it. And how, how do you how do you stay so first composed? Uh, you're you're obviously you're arguing. Because I, you know things you would believe in you're passionate um you know it's emotional i i really care about the christian i'm speaking mm-hmm. to and my audience audience is very large i have like 20 million people who watch me on youtube at 54,000 subscribers and i know why they these christians believe what they believe i've studied christian literature for all my in, adult life and I would say that if if I if all I knew was the Christian Bible and I was raised in the Christian home, had no access to the original Hebrew, I was reading a Bible that had been corrupted, whether it's the King James or the New International Version, these texts have not just been poorly translated, but deliberately corrupted. I don't know what I would have done. And therefore my heart goes out to them. I had an opportunity. I learned in Yeshiva. I learned in the mirror. I I had the the best possible education my parents could have given me. I believe, and I know you agree with me, Rabbi, that along with our remarkable education, there comes a responsibility. 
You know, it's not just like you and I can say we've learned in the finest institutions of Jewish knowledge in the world. With that knowledge becomes a responsibility. I care so deeply about people, Jew or not Jew, who don't understand about the truth and the beauty of the Jewish faith. I, I didn't get this when I was a kid. I grew up in Brooklyn, and I did not like Gentiles. <laughs> I just didn't. I, they scared me to death, and they hated me. I grew up in Brooklyn and Borough Park, and if you were in Borough Park in the 1960s and 70s, you stayed far away from non-Jews because you were chased down as a Christ killer. So I thought non-Jews were insane. I grew up, I was I was born 15 years after the Holocaust. I mean, I, that's right. the world I grew up in. I thought the, the others, and then as an adult, I began to meet Christians who are such good people, nice people. I left Brooklyn, and I realized, no, 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 I got this all wrong. So I'm, I don't get upset because I understand they're not bad faith actors. These are not like the BDS people who are just bad faith actors and using plausible deniability that they're not anti-Semites, they're only anti-Israel. That's a right. whole different ballgame. No, with really them, I probably to, I would not it. be— I, your, sincer- your sincerity is coming right. through. You, you actually care about the people with whom you are, you're arguing— and therefore, your tone is going to be right. different. It's not simply about convincing them. Of course, it's about helping them. Right, because they're they're good they're good faith actors. If they if they were bad faith actors, I I would not be able to interact with them. But they're good faith actors. They genuinely believe this. It's not their fault. I mean, they're told since they were a kid, Jesus loves you. They're never taught Tanakh. They're never reading in Hebrew. They have no access to the original. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, if you're exposed to that kind of literature. So that's why I care about them. So I never get angry. And just the opposite. I I feel enormous affection for them. Let me ask you one last question. Uh, Actually, just two last ones. You know, we're, we're talking about Christianity now. So many of my students are drawn towards the more Eastern uh, faith systems, Buddhism, even Hinduism, Taoism. You spent time in Indonesia. Uh, what did you learn over there in regard to the Eastern religions, and how does it inform your view of Torah and any tips for an outreach rabbi over here trying to demonstrate to my students, I've been teaching a lot more of Tanya and more Kabbalistically inclined to show the spirituality that lies within Judaism. But so many people think if you want real spirituality, you got to become a Buddhist. What, what did you learn from your experience in Indonesia? Right. So I served as rabbi of Indonesia for five years. Now, most people going to Indonesia, that's Muslim. It's the fourth largest country in the world. 240 million of them are Muslims, but there are th- more than 30 million Christians. There are probably about 10 million Hindus, an enormous amount of Buddhists, and, and I interact with them on the thousands of islands throughout Indonesia over the years I was there. And what I discovered is it's this when you look at the expression of the devout, whether they're bowing before a statue of Buddha or whether they believe in Allah and they believe in Muhammad or they're Jews, it's the same look on their face. It's so obvious that we are hardwired for for God because we're creating the image of God. And we all want to connect to the divine. 
when you, it's, it's undeniable. And also, I, in the Muslim world, I'm very deeply connected to them because they really appreciate what I'm doing. They don't. They really don't like Christians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what, what what I realized was that everybody's got this. We're all Bluetooth hardwired for believing in God, and no animal ever believed in God and wouldn't know what you're talking about because we're creating the image of God. And therefore, it became very obvious to me that we're all trying to connect mm-hmm. to the divine. And the Torah is merely saying there are all these different ways, but this is the proper venue to, in order to cherish a true relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And while it's true if you're married, it doesn't mean that other experiences are not there or people just lose attraction for other people. No, but God is saying that, look, I am the one to whom you are married. That's why the book of Song of Songs, Rabbi Kiva believed was the holy of holies because Rabbi Kiva himself discovered through a relationship with the daughter of the richest man in Jerusalem about the God of Israel and did tshuva and became the great sage of the Jewish people. So my discovery about the Eastern religion is that when you meet the, the, the Hindus in Bali, Bali has a very large Hindu uh, community population, very devout, much more so than in India. Uh, it's the same face. It's the same face in the in, in the Buddhists on the island of Java. It's the same face uh, on the Muslim. It's the same face in Jayapura um, of the Jews that are there. So it's very obvious that Everyone is drawn to God, and the Torah is saying this is the way. And what is striking, this sort of brings back to where we were, is that the Jewish people, we are told, are a orla goyim, a light to nations. We're told that that term, not idea, but the term is unique to Isaiah 42.6 and 49.6. We're never commanded to go to the nations and proselytize them and hold crusades and, and so on to try to convert them. You, the Jewish people, Devote yourself to the Torah, devote yourself to God, and it will light up the world. And we're seeing masses that are turning to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we are seeing, while you and I as Jewish educators are very concerned about apostasy, about assimilation, we're both deeply concerned about that, we're also stunned by the enormous tshuva movement, this enormous change and transformation in the Jewish world and the growth of even yeah. B'nai Noach, non-Jews who are embracing Judaism as their faith without converting. So that's what I learned in Indonesia, that everyone's trying to connect to the divine. Thank you so much. This is amazing. One last point, if you can, if you can bring out how becoming more educated Learning more Torah. One of the things that I try to plant a seed in my students, most of the participants who come to MG have not had the benefit of a Jewish day school education. I'm trying to inspire and uh, encourage people to think about this now uh, because it's a big investment. How would you articulate to someone that having that kind of education and leading this kind of life is going to lead a, is going to lead to more meaningful an inspired existence because everybody wants that everybody wants to know how can my life be more interesting purposeful and meaningful how does observing torah lead us to that so i'm, I'm going to give advice to every you're listening to us right now i'm going to give you some advice you're worried about your future of your family your jewish Jewish camps are really important. And by the way, most of the people listening, fact, I mean, a lot of people listening are married, families, kids. A lot of people come to MG and not are singles. They're in the 20s and 30s. 
and they're just like, come on, Rabbi, you know, let me, let me get married first. But I think we should talk about this now because that will help determine what kind of girl, what kind of right. man you want to start dating. That's right. Right, right. And the other thing is, I'm going to say something. It will not be provocative. <laughs> Judaism can be a practice in the United States, but in truth, the full experience of Judaism is here in the land of Israel. I'm just telling you what works. I've been doing this a really long time. It, it needs to be an experience, just learning learning the text, but not experiencing Judaism is is not the way you have a marriage with your faith. So I would say this to those of you who have to choose between Jewish camps are really important because your kids then get to live Judaism for two months. The birthright type of program is exceptional. And experiencing the Jewish faith um, is stunning. But And I'm doing here a series in Israel on the book of Isaiah. We're going through every chapter of the book of Isaiah. That's really exciting. Uh, people are often not studying the prophets as much as we possibly could. So I want people to know about that. But I think experiencing Judaism is vital to actually live through the Jewish holiday, Shavuot, what's coming upon us, consider, contemplate what we've been talking about, but living it. And that's why something like 65 or 70 percent of kids who come on a birthright trip to Israel are transformed, marry inside the faith. The numbers are staggering. It has a very big impact. We have never met before, I don't think, but I, I, I'm, I'm just going to guess that when you came to Israel— Right, that had an enormous impact oh, on yeah. your own. Yeah, I mean, there's something experience. just about being there. It, like, and I bring group. I've been bringing right. groups over 20 years. It still has its magic. But uh, right. how do you? How do you? Um, That's right. What's a good first step for people in your mind? But let's say traveling to Israel is one thing. Let's say someone can't go for whatever reason. Their job doesn't let them take. You know, they can't get off that much work. What would you recommend? I mean, I'm not setting you up to just advertise the Manhattan Jewish Experience right now. You know, because we have a lot of programs like this, Shabbat dinners, classes, and all that. But what do you right. think is? That's the key. It's the Shabbat dinner, I think, that will trigger so much. I think the beginning has to be an experience, and that's why what you're doing and other outreach come to a Shabbos table, experience Judaism. And then it triggers so many questions, and then the learning follows from the experience, whether it's going to Israel, which is very, very powerful, to actually come here to Jerusalem where almost all the Bible was written, where all the prophets preached. You can actually walk through the Jewish, through Jewish history, but experience Shabbat, not just, you know, you know not just learn about Shabbat digitally, but actually experience it. I think that makes a big difference in people's lives. And visiting Israel, I think, is huge. But if you just started just started teaching Genesis, so people are not experiencing Judaism, I don't think right. it'll it have the force. It can't just be academic. That, right. um, that yeah, the potential is uh, not right. You know, well, if you don't mind, detached. I'll take that opportunity because we are going to Israel this summer, MJE. We're bringing two different groups uh, July 16th that week. And we've got dinners uh, almost every single Friday night at MG at our three locations in the city. So I appreciate you uh, <laughs> uh, giving us, a, without even realizing, a great commercial for our programs. But I want to thank you, Rabbi Singer, for your incredible work, not just the time and that you stayed up late, and I apologize for coming on later, um, that you waited, and, and I know how busy you are. Uh, if people want to hear more from you, 
uh, and they want to watch your videos, what's the best way for people to follow you? YouTube and it's just Toby Singer, this um, that channel. The website address is outreachjudaism.org. Um, so, but and you can download; it's all free. So you can. I have. I, th there are thousands of videos up there, and where and and Christians are challenging me. You enjoy the debates; a lot of people do. You, there's no shortage of that, and I I think that it'll be very beneficial. And I'm I'm very grateful to you, Rabbi, for the work that you're doing, spreading not just knowledge but the experience and bringing our people to the Holy Land. That has a, a there's nothing I think that can. Uh, compared to that experience of coming to the land of Israel and walking in the Thank promised you. land. Thank you. Hashem should continue to bless you. You've been doing this for a long time. You should have the strength to continue to do this for a lot longer because we need your amazing work. And that was really enlightening uh, just to get all the different nuances about the Christian evangelical world and our attitude. Very, very important. And especially the Torah Messini discussion that we had. Really appreciate you coming on. And um, outreachjudaism.org. What, what what's the website again? Dot org. O-R-G. Outreachjudaism.org. Outreach okay, excellent. Right. Rabbi, thank you so much. And have a, a Lila Tova. Good evening. <laughs> you can get some rest now. I really appreciate the time. Thank it's you. been amazing. Bye.